Good evening, folks. It's good to be found in the Lord's house again tonight. I trust that you have had a great afternoon. It's good to have Kirk here this evening, and he'll come now to read the scripture and lead us in prayer. Please, Kirk. Scripture reading this morning, or this evening? There we go. Numbers chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Numbers 19, verses 1 through 10. And our passage today, you'll see it connects with the adult class. So we'll, we'll see that connection with uh, chapter 9 of Hebrews. Reading from Numbers 19, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. Verse 3, you shall give it to Eleazar, the priest, that he may take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eleazar, the priest, shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet, and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, he shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Verse 9, Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place, And they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. Let's pray together. Father, as your people gather with your word tonight, we ask that your Holy Spirit would bless each one that is attending upon the message. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would bless me as I speak, Lord, that I may speak clearly and present Numbers 19 in its completion, Lord, in a way that communicates your desire for us. What, what we need to know. Bless to each one of us an understanding and a yielded heart that we might receive of your teaching, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that as our sovereign God, you would guide and direct us, that we might be improved thereby in, in our hearts, in our nature, in our character, and that we may be better able to serve you. Our desire, Lord, is to to have you glorified in our midst. And so to each one, Lord, we pray that that you would open an understanding of this passage. Help us understand how it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ and help us once again to consider what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. We pray in his name. Amen. Kirk, Lord bless. Thank you. A great reminder of the Reformation, that hymn by Martin Luther. A treasure to us. 
Martin Luther was an interesting man with uh, a very interesting personality. And so uh, it's kind of amusing to, to think that uh, all of the positive contributions that he made, and we're so thankful for that. All right, there are sheets at the back, and I trust that you have each picked up one, and uh, we'll attempt to go through the presentation today um, with... Uh, is there a way to get the... the uh, yeah... It's much better than it was. The internet didn't uh, turn on until I think after the first hymn started or something like that. So there we go. That's good. Okay. Thanks very much. I think we're okay now. I, I really do. I think we're past the uh, the point of uncertainty. So tonight we're uh, we're going to look at uh, this passage in Romans uh, in Numbers 19. It talks about the red heifer. And the reason that we're talking about the red heifer is because it was mentioned in, uh, in, in passing, almost incidentally, in chapter 9 of uh, Hebrews. If you have your Bibles with you, and I'm sure most of you do, uh, you may want to turn to Hebrews 9, and we can look quickly at that, uh, that verse. That uh, I believe it's verse 13. Hebrews 9, verse 13. And in its comparison of the Lord Jesus Christ as, as the better sacrifice, verse 13 tells us, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, and I'll just complete the thought, uh, verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself to spot, without spot to God, to to cleanse your conscience from dead works and serve the living God. So there's the comparison, and Christ is the antitype, and we'll be talking about this tonight. Let's bow together in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that you, in your, in your word, have uh, endeavored to teach us and to explain to us the significance of these various uh, cleansing rituals and the the purposes which are revealed in the context of other parts of Scripture. But we rejoice, Lord, because man was fallen, and in your saving of them, you needed to do that without violating your, your own uh, attributes and without violating the law. And you did so perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we ask that you gift our hearts to be able to see and understand these things, to make the connection. And uh, we ask, Lord, that you add your blessing to the speaking and the hearing of, of this word tonight. We pray, Lord, that your name was, would be exalted and glorified in our midst, for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right. So we're going to, to, to break this up into, into three parts. I'll just give you a... a just a very quick introduction, then we're going to uh, uh, talk a little bit more about how we're going to approach it today. So the red heifer of Numbers 19 was God's means to provide a cleansing for those who had become, in the course of living, ceremonially unclean for, by one reason or another. And uh, it, it, uh, this was the red heifer, and the red heifer was burned in a unique ritual manner. 
that we'll, that we just read about. Its ashes were collected and saved and the ashes were mixed with water to be used as a cleaning solution and, uh, or not a cleaning solution, a cleansing solution. So we're talking about cleansing rituals here. And uh, now the red heifer is a type of Christ. And that's why the connection is made specifically with that passage in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 9. So the red heifer is a type of Christ who is our sacrifice of purification, able to cleanse the conscience. So rather than just a heifer who was sacrificed and ashes were used to make a, a cleansing uh, water, to, to make someone ceremonial clean beyond that, the Lord Jesus Christ as our living sacrifice, our propitiating sacrifice, and the one who purchased atonement for us, making, making the, the uh, salvation effective is, is what the, uh, the red heifer speaks of. And so I'm going to endeavor to show that with the help of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to review the red heifer, the passage we just read in uh, Numbers 19, and we're going, we're going to look at the details that are in there. And then we're going to look at clean and unclean in general and see what God's intention was in the introduction of clean and unclean and what's it all about, what the bottom line is. And then finally, we're going to look at Christ, our sacrifice, because all roads do lead there to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that we'll be able to see the connections with some clarity. Back to Numbers 19, we're going to look at the way that the verses uh, tell us about this, this procedure that's, that's done. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come. Now the heifer itself is supposed to be without spot or blemish and never yoked. And we'll talk about the significance of those things and a few other details that we found in uh, extra biblical writings that kind of help us to understand uh, what, uh, what happened here. Um, verse 3 tells us that the heifer was to be given to Eleazar, the second priest, uh, in order to offer the, uh, the heifer, and the heifer was to be slain outside the camp. And again, this should strike a chord with us. Something should ring a bell inside that, that uh, uh, about the type here. But it was slain outside the camp because this particular uh, sacrifice was unclean. And, and you'll notice also that it was not uh, the high priest because the high priest was Aaron at the time. It was given to the son of the high priest who handled this sacrifice because the defilement of the high priest was something that couldn't be tolerated for the preparation of, of this, uh, this red heifer. So it was given to Eleazar. Okay, reading on. And Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. So here we have the heifer's blood in front of the tabernacle of meeting, and it was sprinkled seven times. So the animal was killed first, its blood was sprinkled, and then it was burned. Verse 5, Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burnt. And so it's to be burned in its entirety. 
And also, verse 6, the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. And so you can picture this wall, the heifer is burning. Then these items, the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet thread are, are added to, to that, uh, that pyre and it's all burned down to, to nothing. And that's, uh, then the ashes that remain are, are used to make this, uh, this water, this special water. Verse 7, Then the priest shall wash his clothes, he shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until evening. Verse 8, And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, and bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. And verse 9, then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. But notice in verses 7 and 8 uh, that, the, the two, that those two men were ceremonially unclean. And I'm just going to skip ahead to verse 10. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. So those that are involved in the preparation of this sacrifice, this heifer, were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean until evening. And as you can recall, there are different types of clean and unclean that we're going to be talking about. But, uh, but these men are, uh, are ceremonially unclean until, until evening. <clears throat> uh, when I say unclean, a synonym of unclean is to be ceremonially defiled. And the idea of, among other things, if one is ceremonially defiled, they could not participate in worship and they could not participate in the sacrifices. And if they were unclean, then they couldn't really consort with the townspeople. You know, often uncleanness involved a disease and they, they were quarantined uh, outside of, uh, of town. And lastly, here, verse 9 and 11 the 22, I'll just read verse 9 quickly. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. So what this ritual generated was a container of ashes, and that container of ashes was kept specifically for mixing with water for these cleansing rituals. And uh, it was prescribed particularly for those cases of uncleanness where an individual had contact with a corpse, a dead body. And, uh, and what we read about here is we read about this, uh, this mixture use, is used to, to, uh, to cleanse them. And I thought at some point I should read the cleansing and how it's done. So, so let's look at the rest of 19 and I'm going to read from 11 to uh, to 22. So I'll read from the rest of, of the, uh, the chapter of Numbers, starting at verse 11. He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not be clean. Verse 13, whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify purify himself, defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel. He shall be unclean, because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanness is still on him. 
This is the law when a man dies in a tent. All who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. Verse 16, whoever in the open field touches one who is slain by a sword or who has died or the bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. Verse 17, and for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, like a paintbrush almost, right? Sprinkle it on the tent and on the vessels and on the persons who are there uh, or on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. Verse 19, the clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day, he shall purify himself, wash his clothes and bathe in water. And at evening, he shall be clean. Verse 20, but the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of purification has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. It shall be a perpetual statute for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes. And he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever, whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean. And the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. Very specific. So those extra biblical sources uh, that I mentioned seem to indicate that there was only seven, seven to nine red heifers in the history of Israel. The first one apparently was around the time of Moses, around, apparently around the death of, uh, of uh, 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 his sister. Uh, her name escapes you right now. I'm not sure why, but uh, Miriam, thank you. And, uh, and the second red heifer nearly a thousand years later, if you can believe that, you know, these are extra biblical sources. So I'm not sure, but, uh, but the sources say Ezra around the time of Ezra, the second temple period, when they returned from, from exile and the rest uh, after that. And, uh, and so only seven to nine red heifers. And so the first one lasting nearly a thousand years, you see, they don't need really use much uh, in the way of ashes to make this uh, cleansing water. So, uh, and the water was called water of separation or purification. And uh, it was interesting, the, the, the title that was used there. And it was, it was sprinkled much the same way that blood was sprinkled. You know, in, in the Passover, you remember they had the hyssop and it was like a paintbrush and you dipped it in the blood and you struck it on the, the lintels. And, and, uh, and here, uh, that mixture of water is also used with, with uh, the lintel to, to apply. And it's, it's uh, very interesting and this morning we talked about the covenantal blood being throw, actually thrown on the people at Sinai and uh, to, in order for, for it to bind the covenant with the people. Uh, and these are strange, aren't they? These are strange rituals. We don't have these in, in uh, our typical day-to-day -day life. And certainly because, you know, we don't really have, we're not the uh, agri agrarian society that keeps animals and grows crops typically. And, uh, and so these are kind of unusual for, uh, for us. Nevertheless, we can relate. We understand. We know what a heifer is. Anyway, a female cow. And, uh, and, uh, and so 
we understand life as well. And and the, the graphic nature of these sacrifices were something that communicated to the Israelites the seriousness of sin. And so the picture that it was conveying in its totality is something that's that can be quite shocking and certainly very serious. And it's uh, it would be uh, something that we would not forget if we were to see these sacrifices um, being uh, performed. So clean and unclean. What is God's intention for clean and unclean? And the answer very, very quickly was so that he could teach men discernment. And so I'm going to define that word a, a little bit in, in a moment. But it was vital that God's people understand that he was holy and he could simply not be approached in a casual manner. And, and, it's, and he has reinforced, the Lord has reinforced that with a number of episodes in scripture that, uh, that help people uh, set in their minds what, uh, let me find my sheet here. Because if you see, we're going to look at a few passages, and if you were present to see these events, I'm certain that you would not, you would not soon forget them. Uh, the first one was uh, at, at Mount Sinai. Um, the presence of the Lord terrified the people at Sinai. So much so that they, they uh, spoke to Moses and they said that the presence of the Lord is a terrifying for us. You speak to him. And that's kind of the, the, the birth of, of the, uh, the intermediate position. Uh, Exodus 19.12 has, uh, has Moses, uh, God saying to Moses, You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. And I don't think there was much danger because the people were terrified. They felt the power of God. They they heard the thunder. They saw the lightning. They saw the smoke enveloping the mountain. And so God's presence, his fearful, terrifying presence was known to them. And the voice too, the voice that they were able to hear. And so it was a very uh, terrifying situation. And so God was warning them. Right, the, that was the first time that he met them as a nation at Sinai, and and he warned them. He said, "You cannot come and approach me, under pain of death." Leviticus 10 has the sad story of Nadab and Abihu and and their untimely death as young men. Uh, the first two verses of Leviticus chapter 10 read as follows: Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense in it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Verse 2, so fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And so here we have, we have the record of fire coming out, a summary judgment of these two men, who we believe they used a strange fire, not taking fire from the, the altar. Some believe it may have been an alcohol-related um, offense. But we see here that if God is approached, he must be approached his way and not in a way that seems right to us. And I'll, I'll give you one more example. And that ex- example is Uzzah. And you might, uh, it might come to mind right away. It's in 2 Samuel 6, verses 6 and 7. And it's the story of, mo- of them moving the Ark of the Covenant under David's command into Jerusalem so they could, they could uh, have it with them. And so uh, verse 6 and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah 
put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. And you can see that too. If it was any one of us, we would reach out with the good intention of saving that. You don't want the ark to fall off the cart. But the cart was the problem, wasn't it? It wasn't the right way to move it. Verse 7, Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. And so here, the reverence for the Lord. And, and these events, God knew he needed to have a few of these events to make his presence known so that the fear of God would be on the people. Only a few of these events would be enough as an example to show what would happen if the people were to profane the, uh, the temple or the tabernacle of God. So God had to teach his people discernment. They had to know the difference between right and wrong. They had to know what, what was pleasing to God when they approached him, what God desired of them, what, what method of approach, and it all had to be according to, to what God approved. So I have a definition of discernment for us. This is from the Dictionary of Bible Themes. The sound judgment which makes possible the distinguishing of good from evil and the recognition of God's ways, God's right ways for his people. It is necessary for the understanding of spiritual realities and on a practical level for right government and the avoidance of life's pitfalls. So sound judgment, which makes possible the distinguishing of right and wrong. It's uh, sometimes we, uh, sometimes things in society that are wrong are called right nowadays. And, and it's, it can be confusing. And, uh, and you have so many people saying that things are okay and things that are right, but these things are wrong. And what we do is we go to the Bible to, to determine that. And so it's good for God's people to know the difference between good and evil and make sure that the ideas that we have about good and evil are the ideas that God has because he's, he's the one that has set these definitions forward. And we need to recognize uh, what is good and evil from what God has told us in Scripture. And that information and that knowledge will serve us well through our lives. We'll be able to have that discerning mind. So when we look at situations, we'll be able to tell a proper course that is satisfactory to God. Now, the people could not approach God unless they were ceremonially clean. Or defiled. I'm just going to say that again. I think I may have mentioned it before. Uh, otherwise, it was among the many capital offenses that uh, that we read about in uh, in the Old Testament under the uh, the Sinai Covenant. Now, when it comes to uncleanness in Scripture, uh, there are five major areas where uh, this uncleanness uh, is uh, is uh, found. Uh, Sexual impurity was one of them. Uh, emissions, uh, uh, menstrual uh, blood for the women, uh, childbirth was another uh, cause of, of uh, uh, uncleanness. Uh, contact with blood as well. Eating of unclean foods. Remember the clean and unclean animals? And uh, the cud chewers and the cloven hoof were uh, considered to be clean animals and the others were not. So the eating of unclean food was another way of uh, being ceremonially defiled. 
uh, leprosy, which I, I guess in Scripture was, uh, it speak, speaks of a whole family of infectious skin diseases. Leprosy was, was uh, one of them, and they had to be quarantined outside of the camp. And uh, what we mentioned before also was contact with a corpse. And so if someone was to touch a dead body or if someone was to die beside them or something like that, then they would uh, be defiled by this contact with a, cor- with a, a corpse. And indeed, we, uh, we've already mentioned that some defilement was not the result of, of sin, you know, childbirth, that type of thing. And uh, um, Now, most uncleanness could be remedied by bathing and washing the clothes, after which a person was considered clean that, that same evening. Uh, those suffering from infectious diseases required quarantine outside the camp uh, until fully recovered. And I guess we kind of got a taste of that with, with the, the excitement about the uh, pandemic recently. We certainly, uh, our, our infectious terms vocabulary seems to have been uh, sufficiently bolstered the last few years that we kind of are familiar with some of these things. Uh, And the idea was that after the leper had been healed, he was to bring a, a sacrifice to the priest for a cleansing ritual. Leviticus 14 talks about that. And uh, houses can get leprosy and clothing as well. And you all know that because you've been reading the Old Testament there and you, you can see uh, that these cleansing rituals did not necessarily uh, were not necessarily entirely for people. They were for other things as well. Anything that was defiled. Uh, remember on the Day of Atonement that that uh, atonement had to be made for the altars as well because they were in the midst of an unclean society located in the tabernacle. Like Isaiah said, I am from a people of unclean lips and he sensed his own sin living in society. So, but contact with the dead, as we've already mentioned, seems to be the the type of defilement that's mentioned specifically along with this account of the red heifer. And so it was a, a significant defilement, especially for priests, and the defilement lasted uh, seven days. So one might, might, one might want to uh, ask the question, well, why is cleansing necessary? And that's a good question. Uh, we know that purity and holiness are essential characteristics of the people of God. And an unclean person defiled the tabernacle of the Lord. Uncleanness disqualified a person from divine worship and observances. And in Numbers chapter 9, there's a, this curious account of people who could not observe the, uh, the Passover because they were defiled. And so, and so they, uh, they let Moses know that they couldn't, they couldn't partake. And, uh, and so... Uh, Scripture tells us now there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse, so they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. And, uh, and what had happened there is that Moses said, okay, well, instead of uh, the first month, you can observe a month later. And that's what happened. And so at any, at any given time, there would be a, a portion of the population that would be defiled and they, they couldn't observe these uh, festivals and these uh, uh, feasts and uh, and the other rituals, and so uh, that had to be recognized. Why was cleansing necessary? Okay, well, cleansing was to restore a person to fellowship uh, with God and his people. A failure of an unclean person to be cleansed is a sin, and that person was to be cut off 
from Israel. And actually, that's really mentioned twice in in our passage. Uh, In uh, Numbers 19, verse 13 says, Then he shall kill him in the place. Sorry. Whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. He is unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. So the onus is on the person to seek the remedy that God had provided. Okay, failure of an unclean person. All right, we've covered that now. So that's unclean and unclean. And the reason that God introduced the system of unclean and unclean was so that he could teach his people discernment. And so, for example, you see all those animals out there. Well, you can't eat all of those animals. Some of those animals are, are, have been determined or pronounced by God to be unclean. And uh, it, it, you would think it's arbitrary, and it could be arbitrary as well, but it's God's decision. And because God has, has marked a certain, certain animals, those that are cud chewers with, with the uh, split hoof uh, versus others, like the pig was unclean, uh, then, then it was up to the people to, to make sure that they observed those clean and unclean laws with regard to their diet. So lastly, we're going to kind of tie it up uh, and, and, and show what the type speaks of and how the type indicates uh, Christ <clears throat> or speaks of him or foreshadows him. <clears throat> Now, cleansing rites in general and all their details, they become powerful object lessons. And, and uh, they teach the eternal truth that a holy God can be served only by a holy people. And God uses these, these object lessons in Scripture, and so I think it's a good idea for us to, to look at them that way as well. And when we teach each other, we view with each other, we should be picking up the same lessons the way that God had taught his people. Now, in particular, the red heifer prefigures the atoning work of Christ. Christ being identified as a shadow of the good things to come. In Hebrews 9 this morning, we mentioned that as well. With Christ comes all the blessings of the saved. The blessings that, that were promised in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. The blessings of, of uh, uh, being uh, declared not guilty when one is saved. And the future blessings of glorification and the completion of sanctification and some of the other things that take place. Every blessing that is talked about in, in Ephesians chapter 1 belongs to, to us as a result of the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning work. And so we see that how can we even compare a, a heifer or any animal with the Lord Jesus Christ? We really can't. So when we say that Christ is the better sacrifice, well, that should be obvious to us. Christ is the better sacrifice. So we'll look at two, two things here, really. And we'll answer two questions. The first section here, I call it Christ is the, Christ the better sacrifice. And the question that we answer there is, what does the type teach about Christ's person? And the second part here, Christ the better covenant. What does the cleansing ritual typify? So two things there. And it's amazing because, you know, we read a passage that talks about a red heifer, kill the red heifer, sprinkle the blood, you know, burn it, collect up the ashes. But it's not about a red heifer. It really isn't. It's about certain aspects of a red heifer that we're going to talk about here. So what does the type teach about Christ's person, Christ himself, the better sacrifice? All right. 
And we always have to be careful when we talk about types and shadows because, uh, you know, with a little bit of zeal, we can go off track and we can corrupt the Word of God. And that's not my intention. So whenever we look at types and shadows, we need to look at Scripture and the way Scripture interprets Scripture. And so our starting point here being Hebrews chapter 9 that compared Christ with the red heifer of, of Numbers 19, well, that, that identifies the type. And that's the connection that, that we're resting on here. And uh, it's, uh, you know, some liberties uh, can be taken within the bounds of what Scripture teaches using the analogy of, of uh, Scripture to, uh, or the analogy of faith to, uh, to complete our understanding. And that's where the really the, the value of the type lies. It's the teaching value. A red heifer was rare. Very rare. In fact, this, with the strictness of, of, of the priests, the priesthood, if there was just a few hairs that were not red, then that animal was disqualified. He couldn't be used. And, uh, but the, the, the rarity is what's the important thing here. The red heifer means that we have a rare animal. The rare animal is a, is a type of, of our rare Savior, of Christ, God, God's unique one and only Son. There's no one like Christ. And so Jesus is God's unique one and only Son. And of course, the, uh, the, the red heifer was unblemished and perfect. Unblemished and perfect. And so... And, and Christ being the obedient son, in every sense that counts, Christ is perfect. His perfect obedience made him the perfect propitiating sacrifice for us. One sin would have disqualified him, and there would be, would be uh, we wouldn't be having a church service here this evening if he had sinned. Now the red heifer had to be unyoked as well, and the unyoked. Uh, it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ giving himself voluntarily, voluntarily. And so let's look at uh, John chapter 10 and uh, verses 17 and 18, where we read of the Lord Jesus speaking, saying, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. The Lord Jesus Christ wanted to die. God, the father wanted to put him to death. And the reason for that was because that was the only way he could redeem the people that he loved. And you may recall also the Lord Jesus Christ was, was, uh, crucified outside of Jerusalem. Hebrews 13, 12 and 13 says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And so here's another, another similarity. Now whether it's Passover or whether it's the cleansing ritual in, in Numbers 19, or whether it's the blood of Christ, it needs to be applied. It needs to be applied. And when we, when we take the hyssop in our hands like that paintbrush and, 
apply, then the hyssop itself represents faith, doesn't it? Because it's the faith that takes what Christ has done and applies it to our hearts. The Holy Spirit does that as well. When we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes all of those salvation blessings and applies them to our hearts. In regenerating us, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, applying the graces of Christ to us. and We receive them, but they need to be applied to be effective. All right, so that's what the... Uh, This is what the type tells us about the sacrifice himself, the Lord Jesus. But what does the cleansing ritual typify uh, about what Christ did for us? Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. uh, I'll just read that again. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, to cleanse your conscience from dead works and serve the living God. The cleansing ritual was, uh, was able to restore someone who is ceremonially defiled so that they could participate in, uh, in the rituals of the temple. And, uh, and so we can see then, uh, in keeping with the theme of Hebrews, I think I've already stated it probably a, a long time ago, uh, any time you compare any sacrifice with Christ, you're going to find that Christ uh, being God's one and only sacrifice is better than anything else. So now the whole point here is, is uh, better absorbed if we look at the covenants and the covenants uh, under which the, uh, uh, the cleansing was done. So under the old covenant, the cleansing with uh, the red heifer's ashes freed the outward man from ceremonial uncleanness and from temporal punishment and entitled him to and fitted him for some external privileges. So if a person was clean, then, for example, they could participate in the Passover in the first month. If they were unclean, then, according to the example that we read, that that observance for those people that were unclean was deferred a month until they could become clean and then they could uh, partake in Passover. So under the old covenant, cleansing with the red heifer's ashes, uh, that's what it did. It freed the person according to the flesh. And under the new covenant, this is the difference now. Cleansing with Christ's blood cleanses the conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And and that's an unusual way to put it. Uh, dead works. And that is that... that as long as a human being is alive, he's doing works. And anything that is done uh, from an unconverted heart is, is not something that's going to accrue to the glory of God. And so they're, they're called dead works. And so because Christ's death regenerates our hearts, we become new creatures. And we become creatures whose, whose uh, value systems have been changed. We, we've been remade. And as a result of that, those things that, that, uh, that drive us, drive us in, in the areas of service to the Lord. The burden of our hearts is to please the Lord through, through these, these works that we do. And these are the living works. These, these are works that have spiritual value. And so that's the difference. And so when we look at a comparison with the red heifer and the Lord Jesus Christ, we can see that the scope 
of the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving work affects everything. And once cleansed, of course, everything that we do in the service of the Lord brings the Lord glory. When I was growing up, I had a, a little plaque on the wall in my bedroom and had, it had this saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so our conclusion here is that more than just cleansing from defilement, Christ's sacrifice cleanses and regenerates the hearts of men. And we're made anew in Christ. And we begin a new life. You know, we might be uh, in adulthood when we come to faith, but even at that point, we begin a new life with new values and new goals and a new outlook and an unburdened outlook. You know, where, where, where we're tormented by our own sin and we see the world and we see that man is out for themselves and under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he brings us to recognize that we can't go on like this. We're accountable to God. And at some point in the lives of every believer, they break down and they call upon the Lord and their eyes are open. And that's our testimony. Amen. Every one of us through different circumstances has a testimony where, where our eyes are open. And not like Paul's where, you know, he had the scales falling off and it was a little bit more dramatic. You know, he had that knocked off his horse, uh, road to Damascus type of conversion. But every one of us can recall that time in our life when we came away as a new creature in Christ. And now I challenge you, run the race, run the race, work out your salvation. According to what Pastor Brad preached this morning, live your lives in service to the Lord. Challenge yourself. Challenge anyone else who will challenge you. <laughs> challenge each other. And let's encourage each other. And let's use our, our, our gifts whenever we're together so that we can do better as a church family. We need to carry out the Great Commission. And that's what our work is here. And everyone is involved. You may, you may have a, a, an important role and you may have a, a kind of a backup role. But we all work together. And those that are good at those certain things, those are the things that they do. And those are the gifts that they have. And that's what they bring to this church family. But we're a living organism that together works out the plan of God. And we, we're called to do this and we need to work together to do it. But then there's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our sacrifice of, of purification. He put fallen, fallen, sins, uh, fallen men's sins away. Mine, yours, everyone here. And we can rejoice together because of Christ and his perfections, knowing that God is satisfied forever. Let your lives be blessed. Confess your sin to God. Be free and bring to this world the salt and light that we're called to, to bring. Let's pray together. Father, with great joy, we we see the way the, the Lord Jesus Christ has put away by his once for all sacrifice, the enmity that was between fallen man and a holy God. We thank you, Lord, that, that now by faith, all of those terrible, complicated, uh, bloody 
sacrifices of the Old Testament no longer have any place for we have Christ. We have our propitiating sacrifice. We don't need to repeat anything because Christ once for all went to the cross for us. And in, in, in rising again, the Lord has accepted his sacrifice and that has made our faith uh, as confirmed forever in our hearts that uh, that our faith is real and that our salvation is genuine. And so let us energetically live according to what we know to be true. Let's always be ready to give an answer for you, Father. Thank you for blessing us with the story of the red heifer. Thank you for teaching us discernment. And Father, we pray that this information will serve us well in the days ahead. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.